welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summery. Hey everybody, awesome episode I've got for you this week. So my guest is Lloyd Price. He's the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Zesty. And Lloyd basically co-founded Zesty from an idea he had in July 2012, and that's now an award-winning digital health company here in the UK, backed by a group of international VCs like Mangrove Capital, LBO France, TA Ventures, Carcom Ventures, and you might have seen them in the news recently as well. They got a few bits on BBC News and, and elsewhere, so doing lots of cool stuff during COVID-19 and a few other things. So. Um, I mean, to cut long story short, Zesty does digital transformation models. If you don't know, you should definitely check it out. But Lloyd himself is a tech entrepreneur, corporate exec, board advisor, 20 odd years of experience building digital businesses across six different industries, healthcare, retail, travel, finance, advertising, and even dating. He's got a load of cool stories that he goes into on this podcast. We actually talked for, I think, an hour and 20 or something. So um, it's a good one to get your teeth into. But yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Lloyd's a great bloke. You can learn a lot listening to this one. So enjoy. Awesome. So Lloyd, welcome. How are you doing this morning, mate? Yeah, thanks, James. Thanks for the invite. Uh, Very good. Um, Yeah, no, looking out my window, it's a bright, sunny day. Um, yeah, we're obviously three or four weeks into the into the COVID lockdown. I think we're all getting very used to working from home. I'm very well. I'm at home with my wife and two girls. So yeah, it's it's oh, good. Nice. Yeah, no, it's good. And it feels like uh, this is all starting to become the new normal. I think. Do you know I what? I was just about I was just about to say that it, it yeah. feels like a bit of a corner's been turned here. That it's not it's no longer you wake up you're like oh another day from home because i kind of got it sorted now. I kind of know what I'm doing all day and I've got my my new routine and as you say the new norm. I totally agree. I think we, and I think the other thing, we're all understanding how productive we are and when we can be. So some people, some people get up early. I mean, I know there's days I've been at my desk at seven in the morning and then I've worked through till three or four in the afternoon and then I'm like, I'm done. And there's other days I'm like, okay, I'll lie in, I'll get up at 9.30, start at 9.30. Interesting. I'm an early riser. I'm at my desk at at 6.37 and then I'm super unproductive between, (laughs) I'd say, well, the minute I've had lunch, so sort of one-ish, and then until about 6 p.m. Right, okay. I might as well not be doing anything. So I've decided I'm actually... (laughs) not going to do anything unless and that's when i stick all my calls and stuff that i'm obligated to do and then i'm like super productive again from six wow and then i'll tell you what i had a because this show is all about this podcast show is all about kind of entrepreneurship and everything i i remember a couple of years ago i was chatting to an entrepreneur i won't say who it is but they're, they're very well known and they said something that's really stuck in my memory they said lloyd manage your energy don't manage your time interesting and they said, look, if you, if you just, if you want to get something done and you're pumped and full of energy, just go for it. Don't go, oh, I'm going to allocate four hours to this or two yeah. hours. Just get it done. And he said, just, just think of your life as just sources of energy. And obviously time is important, but he says, just go with the flow, get as much done as you can. And I, and I think that's really good advice, actually. And I've, I've tried to live by that for, for the last couple that's of years. That's such a good point, really. actually. And I was reading, you know, Tim Ferriss's Tools of Titans. I was reading yes, that, yeah, yeah, in and out of that because the book is just so enormous. But I, there was something in there about the, um, I'll censor it, but the hell yes approach and substituting hell for a different word. But yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. you get asked about a meeting and, and you know, do you, do you want to meet? Do you want to go for coffee? Do you want to do this? I think unless your response is hell yes, and as you say, bringing all that energy, just say no and divert your energy to the things that actually are going to, 
you know you're going to feel immersed in and get flow and all the rest of it and oh, it completely completely oh, man. and i think uh, and i think when i adopted that yeah and also you know i think this idea that we can multitask and technology we can have four screens open i don't i just know we can't no, it's nonsense. <laughs> we're, no, still, it's we're still we're still we're still <laughs> You know, we still have our kind of inner inner chimp. You know, yeah. we still have we still like like to focus on one task, get it done properly. So, but uh, but yeah, no, interesting. It's um, but no, look in terms of you know working from home and and running the company and everything and managing the team and it, I can only say it's been a very positive experience. And, nice. And I must admit, a lot of fellow entrepreneurs and digital health kind of entrepreneurs, sort of on WhatsApp and stuff, we're all starting to say, yeah, I mean, are we going to have smaller offices? Should we maybe? Have have enough because everyone quite likes working from home now you get to see your family more you know you get to um get a bit more of your own time we're cutting out all this traveling time so some some of us yeah. get two, two hours a day back um i find we're very productive at home you know and the yeah. other thing is there's no lunch hour anymore i don't know anybody <laughs> that actually takes an hour for lunch yeah i mean i, I mean unless i'm completely different it tends to be you know mid-morning bit of toast have a coffee then sort of you know 12 31 maybe take half an hour yeah some, you know walk around in the sunshine walk around in the garden kind of maybe go to the shop get some get some bits and bobs but this idea of like okay i'm going out now for one hour that just doesn't happen so, so i think we're true. all just massively productive so yeah, but yeah no let's just I think you say, like, it's that extra flexibility that's giving giving people more energy to go back to the other thing you were saying. I think mm. everyone's kind of a lot more in control of their own time. They can deploy that energy in, in different places, different times. So, you, yeah, an hour lunch break is only going to be perfect for a small number of people. Some people... Yeah, completely. So they're going to bring more, bring more afterwards. Yeah. Interesting. Type. It's, ne- it's not going to go back to normal, is it? it definitely. Uh, I think there's going to be a new normal. And I think that new normal is people now really understand that you can work from home. It's not a kind of, you know, oh yeah, right. You're going to work. From <laughs> yeah. You know, I think yeah. it's now, I think it's, I think it's started to become acceptable. And yeah. I think, um, and also, I mean, I'm sure you've been the same. I've probably been on three or four zoom calls and stuff where, you know, kids, kids are shouting in the background, <laughs> kids are walking in, but you know what? Nobody cares. There's empathy now. No, There's yeah, empathy. Yeah, no, yeah, no one yeah. cares. I don't care. I'm like, I have kids. I totally understand it. Yeah, sit them on you your know? lap. Let's have the call it's with like, them. You know, it's, just, cares? it's just, yeah, it's like, who cares, guys? You know, we totally understand. It would be abnormal if our children sat in the other room doing their maths homework. Yeah. I mean, that would be totally abnormal. Of course they want mummy and daddy. They're yeah. like, they, can, they can hear us. They can see yeah. us. You know, so that's I, yeah, a good point. That's this intro is going on for ages now, but this <laughs> I'm into this. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's so interesting that like, yeah, it, it's almost like, physically geographically the line between home and work has blurred but also into work life and home life as you know conceptually it seems like that's the that's the overriding thing <clears throat> you know i was talking here that like it's okay to do a call with your kids on <clears throat> excuse me it wouldn't be before this but now it Agreed. is it's kind of like yeah. the, those work lives and home lives people are seeing workers as people again yeah exactly it's humans and not just yeah. you know fact fact things in the factory that work on a production line and yeah. produce this product yeah. which is x yeah. no and, I, and also yeah i think the point you make flexibility i think it's really interesting i think a lot of people really appreciate that um yeah i mean we have people that say hey guys look i need to you know go shopping and then i'd like to check on my parents so i'll be offline till 10 o'clock and we're yeah. just like oh no problem I mean, yeah 
because it is no problem. No. I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to talk to you at 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> you know, 2.30 in the afternoon is totally fine. I want to catch up on a couple of projects, but we don't have to, you know. And the other thing I find in this whole kind of COVID world is that we're actually speaking to each other more. Mm. We're actually, you know, when you're in the office, you're sort of in and out and maybe you don't chat to everybody because, you know, there's no need. But now I'm thinking we're all making that extra effort and it's a quick, hey, can we catch up on this? So I actually think we're communicating more. And technology is enabling that, you know. Um, yeah. Because actually the office can be, you know, yeah, this place where you see everybody. But it's not like you talk to everybody in the office no. every day. You know, you talk to a couple of colleagues and then you come together for, you know, team meetings and stuff. So, again, I'm, I think someone said to me the other day, what are the downsides and negatives of, of working from home? And I was a bit like, yeah, good point. I'm not, I'm not yeah. really sure, sure there are I think for that many. It's the... <laughs> It might be the anxiety of the lack of presenteeism, i.e. they want to be seen to be working and it's difficult. Yeah, that's a very good point. The psychology stuff. of it. Yeah, yeah, I, th yeah. I think that is probably, of what I've seen and things that, you know, people I've spoken to and all the rest of it, I mean, I even feel it slightly from even like a client services perspective. Like I want clients in, in you know, a couple of the bits that I do, you know, I want clients to see that I'm doing stuff. And it's often... I don't want them thinking I'm just like sat at home doing nothing. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, I know what you mean. I think, I think that's probably the downside, but I, I agree. I think there's, once we, um, once lockdown's lifted, I mean, who knows what world we'll be living in when this podcast is actually aired, but I, I hope it's one in which we've learned from um, all the, all the situations that we've put ourselves in and uh, yeah, work is different. I, I hope it is. Yeah. Um, but look, listen, yeah. dude, um, the way, the way we normally start the podcast is very different to the way that we have started it, obviously, with the <laughs> current time. But it's normally by uh, you telling your story. So it'd be great to hear. Oh, yeah, no worries. You know, how you got to where you are with Zesty. I'd sure. love to hear about your career and, and you know, how you pieced together the, the parts of you that turned you into an entrepreneur. And just sort of talk me through, talk me through your journey, mate. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, again, yeah, thanks for the, for the invite. Um, so I think the first thing to say is... Um, that uh, I sort of started the journey back at university. So I actually wrote my dissertation in 97, 98 on what is the potential of e-commerce for small businesses. Um, so, so yeah, I went to uni, did a business business degree. Um, and then effectively this, you know, the internet was taking off and yeah, you know, we had a computer at home, we had internet. So I was naturally interested in it. And then, yeah, I kind of got to, you know, year two dissertation time at uni and I decided to do it on e-commerce. So that's kind of whatever it is, 22 years ago, um, that I kind of started in this world. Wow. So I've always sort of been interested in that. And then funnily enough, as part of my dissertation, I actually started going out um, uh, and interviewing businesses because I needed obviously qualitative and quantitative research for kind of the dissertation. And then sure. that's when I kind of saw an opportunity. People were asking me, well, could you build us a website? And, you know, basically, you know, there's these things called affiliate programs and do you know what hyperlinks are? So basically, <laughs> I, I saw an, basically saw an opportunity and, a, and, a, and with a mate at university called Chris, we sort of set up a web agency um, and we kind of blagged it. Chris's dad actually had to set up the limited company because we didn't actually know how yeah. to set up company and he did all that and anyway I think we made from memory 14 grand in two years or something I think we sold I don't know 20 packages and we Good did the start mate it was it wasn't bad we did the cheesy bronze silver and gold thing you know sure. where we sort of doing I think we charged 750 quid 500 quid and 200 quid or something I can't remember all the details but that's sort of when it happened um and then yeah and then uh, graduated and then came down to well, London can I, can I just stop I'll, I'll just sure, come in yeah. here just to say yeah. something though 
that I think that, you know, even the way that you said it, you're almost apologizing for the fact your first entrepreneurial venture didn't make much money in inverted commas. <laughs> to some people, that is a huge amount of money, you know. But yeah. I think this, there is this thing about people just expecting to be able to run before they can walk and expect them to sort of Usain Bolt themselves straight out the blocks. And it's like, you've, you've, through that, you've started your entrepreneurship. You've learned pricing. You've learned web structure. You've learned e-commerce. You've learned setting up a company from Chris's dad. You've learned all these different things, which, you know, th there's something to be said about you can just stay within yourself for your first venture. That's okay. Yeah, that's, very, that's a very good point. And in fact, interestingly, if I zoom forward now to where I, to where I am, you know, whatever, 20 odd years later, I always say to everybody, well done. You've, d you've yeah. done it. You've done something, okay? You've yeah. got, it's what I call pub talk. Everyone's down the pub going, well, yeah, I had that idea for eBay. It's like, <laughs> well, why didn't you get off your, why didn't you get off your ass and do something about oh, it? Right. Don't, to don't, you know, don't be the guy down the pub or girl down the pub with pub talk. And to be honest, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Yeah. I didn't have a, didn't have a Scooby. But, but I you bet know what? you learned on the job, didn't you? But you did. But also what I realised is no one else had any clue either. <laughs> and what I keep, I also keep telling sort of my wife and children, I said, guys, when you meet people and they say this, they haven't got a clue. <laughs> don't, don't think everybody in this world are experts, okay? Yeah. Everybody at some degree is slightly blagging it <laughs> at some degree. Even the lawyer, even the accountant, even the investment banker, even the government official you meet. I was going to say, I watch the COVID <laughs> things every day, mate. And <laughs> exactly. I can tell that there's a lot of that going on. There's not, you, uh, there's this idea we have to be domain experts, complete understanding of everything. That's not true. Just, just go with it. And if there's any advice I'd give people, trust yourself, trust yes. your instincts. Okay. There is no, there is no book you can read. Um, I'd also say, if you want to go fast, go on your own. If you want to go far, you've got to work with people. You've got to work mm. up. You've got to find other people. Um, so that's really interesting. But yeah, so look, I did a business degree. I started some stuff. I got into kind of the internet technology world um, and all that. The funny thing is I don't know any different now because this has been my life and my world for 20 odd years. Mm. And um, as I hopefully tell the story, you know, people will sort of realize that, uh, you know, I feel incredibly lucky that I was at uni at that time, because if I'd been at uni three years before or three years afterwards, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. It's just that the internet was taking off. And then to be honest, I came to London, you know, in, a, in you know, graduated July, August, I was down in London. Um, my sister had just got on Goldman Sachs graduate scheme. She was living in Wimbledon. I basically came down to London, didn't know anybody or anything, and then started to go for a couple of interviews. Um, and then the whole dot-com boom was, was, was in 2000. Nice. I actually, I actually got, I had interviews and I had interviews with lastminute.com. Uh -huh. there, there was a couple of uh, music, music, um, companies. And then I also had an interview with a company called Kelku, which was the first price comparison site. Um, wow. you might, you might remember, you know, the ability to compare TVs and all that. Um, and I was, yeah, I was living literally crashing with my sister at the time. <laughs> and, the, and the recruitment consultant called and said, Oh, you know, Hey, there's this job, this company called Kelku. They're really interested in your e-commerce experience. You know, there's a marketing role, you know, biz dev marketing exec role. Uh, it would be employee number 12 in the UK. They're really big in France and they just raised a load of money and, you know, do you want to go and talk to them? So I said, yeah, sure. Where are they based? And they said in Wimbledon. And I just thought, wow, that's kind of cool. So, so basically I was like, okay, this is slight, slight serendipity. I think there's a sign coming from somewhere. So anyway, I went and, um, 
yeah, and interviewed the people. And look, we got on really well. And then I started four days later. So I sort of officially started my first job in September of 2000. And I joined Kelku. And it was an amazing ride. You know, it, we were yeah. the first sort of big price comparison sites. So I was doing a marketing and, and kind of biz dev job. Um, and yeah, I was, I learned a lot. Um, you know, at the time we were dealing with ASOS, eBay, but these were small companies. I mean, I can't tell you how small, like uh, AO.com, ASOS. I mean, ASOS, when I first started working with them, that was originally as seen on screen. And that was, and the whole concept was, you know, you watch the Tom Cruise movie with the Ray-Bans, you yeah. could then click through and buy the Ray-Bans. That is why it was called ASOS, as seen on screen. <laughs> and to see them pivot, I remember chatting to Boo.com, uh, you know, Littlewoods. Wow. Uh, I, I remember the very first time we had a, had a call with Amazon and we basically said, look, we're an affiliate. Wow. We don't want to be an affiliate anymore. So it's really, God, really You must have thought, like, watching those companies grow then at that time, you must have just thought anything's possible here. Like, the amount, the amount of companies that are doing well and, like, all the opportunity. Crazy time, right? All the, that growth. The, there was, but then also there was a lot of companies failing, you know. Right. So I think, because what you've got to remember is then, then 2001, it, it all crashed. Yeah, you know, so and then we did have we had tough times, right? We we got rid of forty, maybe slightly more percent of the company. I was lucky in that I I was sort of, I guess, reassigned to sort of sales and marketing and biz dev. I became a bit of a general dog's body, and basically what so so I learned a big lesson in my career there, which is being a generalist. Yeah, sometimes sometimes it's a good good thing. It's a good thing. Um, cause I remember management saying, well, look, you know, Lloyd can sort of cover two or three people's roles here and, mm. and look, you know, and, and I guess I was young and keen and full of energy. The fact I lived in Wimbledon meant I was in the office probably from eight to eight, you know, yeah. so I was there a lot. I was working hard, but you know what? I was having fun. Yeah. Was having so Different. much fun. I was learning, making friends, you know, I was going out with colleagues, you know, Friday, Saturday night. It was, it was a fun time. I loved nice. that time. I was learning so much. So look, that went on really well. And then 2002, 2003, they were really interesting years because this is where we suddenly saw, um, well, two things happened. First, we saw the, the Canon Ixus 400, the first digital camera came out. Okay. And we started to see an explosion in search activity at Kelku because Kelku was essentially a price comparison. It was basically a shopping search engine. So Got you it. type in, and we started to diversify away from retail into travel. And then from travel, we diversified into finance. And then from finance, we actually diversified into cars. And we slightly became a competitor to auto trader and companies mm-hmm. like that. So it was a fascinating four or five years because I sort of, I sort of watched retail go through a digital sort of transformation. Then I watched travel. Then I watched kind of personal finance. You know, I remember meeting Money Supermarket, you know, very early. In fact, Mark, one of the guys who was very early on there, is still a very good friend of mine. Um, but, you know, I remember going up north to North Wales, which is Elwu, which is where they're based, and just thinking, okay, I thought you guys were this massive company. <laughs> and it's like, you sort of, we're doing stuff on Excel spreadsheets and I'm meeting you in North Wales in this <laughs> kind of office block. I'm like, so... So again, I think the perception and reality in technology world and internet world is very, very different. Um, I think looking back over 20 years, a couple of things as well I realized. One is back back then, it was very expensive to start a company because of hosting, you needed servers, you know, bandwidth was yeah. very expensive. Infrastructure was very expensive. Um, but then funnily enough, marketing and distribution was cheap because it was so hard to get anything off the ground that actually, you know, online advertising stuff was cheap. There wasn't a lot of competition. Whereas now, if I look back 
sort of from then and compared to today, the whole model's flipped. Now it's very cheap to start something because of cloud. I mean, we've had this magic three three pieces of the jigsaw, I think. So the first is we're now walking around with smartphones, which is basically a computer in your pocket. We didn't have that 20, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. The second thing is that connectivity, 5G and everything, means that we can literally shop, look up things, check email, do video calls anywhere in the world 24-7. We didn't really have that before. Mm. You had to. So do you remember... Who remembers those days, right? Where it was literally a 156K modem. And then I think the third thing is that you've got cloud cloud, hosting, cloud storage, you know, iCloud, you know, Microsoft, Azure, obviously Amazon Web Services is huge. Suddenly launching a business, building a website, getting a shopping cart, you know, using Shopify. The infrastructure is very, very cheap. The problem now is it's very expensive and very competitive now to do the marketing and the distribution. So I've seen, I've just seen in the last 20 odd years, a big, big shift there. Um, So, but continuing the story. So yeah, look, sort of, I was 21, you know, joined KelQ. And then to be honest, it was a fairy tale story because in 2004, we were required by Yahoo. Nice. So it was, a, it was a very interesting time. Um, and, you know, it was amazing feeling because, you know, I had share options and, and stuff. Nice. I was able to buy a flat in Wimbledon at the age of 24 or whatever it was. Um, it, you know, I felt very lucky because awesome. I'd seen a lot of friends. And then, and then the next sort of, yeah, five to six year journey in my career was, you know, I ended up sort of running BizDev for U- Yahoo for Europe. Um, uh, you know, looking after UK, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Holland, Sweden, Denmark, about 10 countries, you know, witnessed the growth and demise of Yahoo. Because <laughs> um, yeah. you know, basically from 2004 through to 2010, it was kind of boom and bust. I watched Yahoo pivot a few times. We had five CEOs in, in sort of three years. We went from being one of the darlings of Silicon Valley to basically Microsoft tried to buy us. And then, um, and in the end, you know, it all just got broken up. And in the end, it got finally sold off to AOL for, for not a lot of money. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that was very interesting. And from then, I sort of, I guess in my career, I did a lot of sales and a lot of marketing. Um, and then, yeah, again, watched the growth of um, basically search. So at Yahoo, we bought a company called Overture, which was pay-per-click. Uh, just as Google was launching. So I kind of watched, you know, search engine marketing, search engine optimization grow. Yahoo was a very large ad network. Uh, we bought companies like Blue Lithium, which was retargeting. Mm. So nowadays it's very common that you go online, you look at something, and then effectively you get retargeted through through online advertising. Yeah. But back in 2006, seven, it, that wasn't <laughs> that, that uh, exciting. Um, Yahoo was a hell of a lot of fun. You know, we took uh, we took Amazon, eBay, Money Supermarket, Littlewoods to the 2007 Football World Cup in Berlin, and then we took oh. a load of clients to the 2008 Rugby World Cup in Paris. Oh. Uh, we had a box at the O2. Um, sure. I, I tell you something funny. So imagine we've got a box at the O2 and there's loads of really big bands and stuff going. Yeah. What do you think? What do you, so a box can hold about 40 people, including yeah. clients. Um, so of all the acts in the world, which two do you think were, were sold out like in, in the office within like seconds? Oh, I dread to think. Two artists. Right? I dread to think. 
So the first was Dolly Parton. Yeah, I, I, amazing. <laughs> I was going to go down this route. <laughs> and the second one was Justin Timberlake. <laughs> so, so basically, like you two, the Spice Girls, oh, take that. God. No one was interested. The, the office went mad for Dolly Parton and Justin Timberlake. Brilliant. And we were, and we were like, you know, it's Radiohead, it's you know, the Stereophonics, <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Oh. And then it's like an email from the O2, okay, July 4th, Dolly Parton. It was like, okay, I, got, okay, I want that. Got to get there. Got to get yeah. that one. Yeah. It's just so funny. <laughs> um, so anyway, so look, did that. Uh, look, had a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I was promoted three or four times. Ended up as a director running lots of stuff across Europe. Um, but again, I really learned the trade and the skill. And I watched you know, retail, travel, personal finance, and automotive. Watch four industries go through that uh, kind of, you know, digital transformation. You know, what? I've said it on this podcast a few times that there seems to be a definite trend of guests that I have on that have gone on to be, you know, successful entrepreneurs that have witnessed either a digital transformation or a complete and utter disruption of an industry. It's yeah, yeah. like such a common theme. It's four or five that I've had in the last sort of 10, definitely that, that have seen something like this. And actually there's a few that have been from, from like the music industry and they've, they've just seen like, you know, the likes of, of, I suppose, Napster and then yeah, iTunes yeah, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And then Spotify, and, and, yeah. and Spotify, you know, there's there's definitely a trend of of spotting this stuff and being part of it early on for people then to believe that hold on a minute disruption is always possible so i've got to have one eye on diversifying my own skill set but also could i be the disruptor could i have an idea it seems to fill people with both correct yeah i totally agree with that i think uh, yeah i mean you you mentioned it earlier which is the art of the possible you start to think well actually hold on i've seen this happen before yeah there were two, two or three key pieces to this and I'm starting to see the signs now. And practically, you've got you've got the knowledge and understanding and skill from the things that you've done. Literally, like you've you've held those contracts in your hand. You've been in those meetings where those deals are done. You know, you can practically understand how these companies are built to what they are, which I think is the other ingredient. So not only the belief, but actually the practicality of it, which I think is so important. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. The other thing is, I think it. I think the other thing is when I look back now, you realize that you shouldn't be scared by being the little guy. Yeah. Because what you realize is everybody was a little guy at some point. Yeah. And it's personally why when people reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter, make, you know, intros and everyone says, Oh, you know, would you mind mentoring or meeting these people? I always meet everybody once. I'm yeah. happy to have a coffee or beer because do you know what? That was me six or seven yeah. years. Yeah. And I think to myself, the only thing I the only thing I would say is I do find people don't tend to listen though. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, you know, I must admit, every year that goes by, I'm a little bit like, well, you know, you didn't really listen, did you? Yeah. But then I understand everyone's confident and they really want to do their own thing and they just they're so driven and motivated. Mm -hmm. I'm like, look, sometimes you've got to listen. Sometimes listening to elders and people who've been there before is a good thing. Mm. Um, but anyway, so that was a cool. And then, yeah, and then, so then what happened was 2008, actually, nine at Yahoo, Yahoo decided to start selling off divisions. So actually it put the shopping, what we call marketplace, which is, you know, shopping, retail, travel and, and finance uh, up for sale. Um, and then we were all asked if we wanted to go back as a management team to basically head up this new company and it was going to be sold to private equity. Mm. Um, so I've, I've actually experienced in my career starting my own company, doing a startup, 
being part of a high growth company, scaling, selling to a big US corporate, but then also being sold by a big US corporate, nice. then going into the hands of private equity. So I'm, I'm quite lucky when I look back, I've sort of worked in every stage of business. Um, so I sort of get a feel for who you need and what kind of personality yeah. and what skill sets you need, because they are very different. In the early days, you do need, you know, believers. To be honest, startups are like a religion. You either need proof or you need faith. Huh, nice. And you know, people. I've not heard that before. That's amazing. Yeah, people. You know, but you sort of need to. You need to go through the mill. And when I meet people now, I can kind of tell almost instantly whether you got it in you or not. Interesting. It's it's just like a it's like a muscle reflex. Mm. It's like I look at you and I just think, you know, have you got that grit? Have you got that? You know, that solemn focus. You know, when the shit hits the fan, are you really? Can you really deal with it? Yeah. Or you, you know, it's it's kind of cheesy, but it's fight, flight, or freeze. It, you know, and, and over the years, you do start to see trends. It's often what people say, but it's also what they don't say when you meet them. Mm. You know, and look, having being full of bravado and confidence is great, but you also need to live in the real world practically. Mm. Which is okay. How much money have you got? How many months? Yeah. And the other the other thing for people listening is if there's if there's the biggest thing I would say it's please remember your entire family goes through a startup with you. So people true. do not, people don't remember. Okay. It is your partner. It is your wife. It is your mom or your dad. It is definitely your children. And it's also quite a lot of your friends. You know, it is a Sunday where you want to just wake up, take the kids out, meet your friends for a pub lunch and just do nothing all afternoon. And suddenly something happens. Yeah. You know, you are, you are the leader. You are the founder. Yeah. It's your startup. You've got to do it. I can tell you so many times, you know, where there's, you know, you've been disappointed. And what's really hard is the disappointment in those people around you going, yeah. but we planned this for three weeks and we yeah. said we would, you know, and I said, I'm sorry, I can't do anything about this. But so if, so if anyone's listening, hopefully, you know, please remember that um, it's not just you, you, the whole, everybody goes through this with you and you've really got to get people on board and people need to be patient and supportive because you're not on your own when you do this. It impacts everybody. Um, and the other thing I'd say is either keep it kind of to yourself, which is you go on the roller coaster, you experience the highs and the lows, and you just don't really share that much because also you have a big impact on everybody around you. If you're buzzing, going, we're going to close this 10 million pound funding round. Oh my God, we signed this massive deal. Okay, you, you, your children, your friends, your family, everyone's going to be on that high with you. Mm -hmm. If three weeks later, you're like, it's all turned to shit and basically, you know, this has happened, then they'll experience the lows with you. So if, again, if I had any advice, I'd say, guys, either, either keep it quite sort of compartmentalized or just share everything. Because it's very hard when you just drip feed in the good stuff to people. Because they're like, yeah, but three weeks ago, you were like buzzing and bouncing and mm. you're a bit, you bit pissed and you're like, fucking, this is all amazing. And now you're like, yeah, okay, we can't go on holiday. I'm not sure I can do that. I know it's your mum's birthday, but like, I might be away. You've got to be very careful with the comms and the, you know, the people around you. Um, anyway, slight tangent, but look, yeah, let's wrap up the story because let's get to the, let's get to the zesty bit. So <laughs> anyway, so I went back as a team. Uh, I basically, the founders of Uswitch, uh, then another price comparison site, then bought Kelka. We went back as a management team, we were incentivized. And then actually I took an international role, 
Um, so I then launched Kelku into the US, Canada, Poland, uh, parts of actually India, oh, wow. China. And I worked with some banks on some build, buy or partner strategies and started to understand really how do you go into a new market? How do you launch internationally? So anyway, I did that. Um, then in 2010, uh, I was uh, approached by some headhunters and they told me about a company called Badu, which is a data <laughs> company. Uh, and yeah, they said, you want to go in as sort of global marketing director? Um, and, you know, basically every 10 years you see a startup that you think, wow, this is pretty special. And I went in and I asked to see the Google Analytics login nice. and the, num- the numbers were just unbelievable. So anyway... Joined uh, Andre, Sergey, Max, and all the crazy Russians, uh, <laughs> literally above a guitar shop in <laughs> in Soho. I promise you, we were above, the first office was above a guitar oh, shop. God. Um, Andre was already worth about 400 million at that point, and actually <laughs> lived in, in a Mayfair townhouse, and literally walked from Mayfair to Soho for five, oh, yeah. ten minutes every day. But anyway, Badu was this, you know, hook up, meet up. It was Tinder four years before Tinder. Um, so anyway, I then joined and it was an incredible experience. I learned all about mobile. I learned all about mobile marketing. I'd already done quite a lot of it at Yahoo. Suddenly the iPhone came out, the app store came out in 2010. And suddenly it's like, you know, how do we, and I was, I mean, I hired 25 PR agencies across the world. Um, you know, we were spending, we we're spending a million dollars a day on Facebook Good and, and Google advertising, you know, I mean, to give you an idea, my first management meeting, the revenue was 400,000 a month. And three, three months later, the revenue was 15 million a month. <laughs> That's the kind of growth wow. that we experienced. So that was a big, big experience. Um, worked with some amazing people. Um, we then moved into a really amazing office on Wardle Street in Soho. The guys are still there. Yeah, um, Badu sold just for Christmas for $3 billion to, um, to Blackstone. Wow. So myself and all the guys in the early days, sort of the first, cause we sort of went in really and put in all the infrastructure and mm. then they scaled it. And then, you know, obviously Andre went on and, and, uh, and met the founders of Bumble, the guys that were running Tinder and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Alexa Wolf and all these kind of people. Uh, but anyway, look, a really amazing time. Um, but actually, I have a lot to thank Badu for because Goldman Sachs were our bankers, and this is where I first saw the inspiration for Zesty. So I was actually in New York at a Goldman Sachs technology conference, July 2012, and I saw a company in the US called ZocDoc, which was basically a marketplace for connecting patients with doctors. Yeah. And I sat, I sat in the audience thinking, Okay, so I know nothing about healthcare. I'd thought for a while that healthcare and education had never gone through that digital transformation and really started to think, okay, so, you know, what exactly do they, when you sort of start to break it down, what you realize is it's, it's a two-sided marketplace. There's a supply of doctors with availability and appointments, and there's demand from patients that want to book online and through mobile devices. Yeah. So if you, if you so again, if you're, if you're a budding entrepreneur, I'd say, look, keep it very simple. Don't try to overcomplicate it at the beginning. You know, just what, what are you trying to offer? And what problem are you trying to solve? So I, I basically started to research the market. Um, 
And what I quickly saw was there was stuff in Australia, there was stuff in Sweden, there was stuff in Israel, there was stuff in France. And I started to think, well, why is there nothing in the UK? Um, everybody I spoke to said, well, because the NHS, this and that. Um, but then I started to research, and, I, and one of the first things I discovered was dentistry was actually the largest part of the healthcare service in the UK in terms of the number of practices spend on, on dentistry and uh, the mix of private and NHS patients. So I started to think, well, okay, we can do that. Um, so then I started to, to really research the market. Um, and then I really started to think, okay, this is a big opportunity. Um, but a key part of the story and a massive, massive part Zesty, is James, my co-founder, um, who's our CEO. Um, James, I met 15 years ago because uh, I did quite a lot of angel investing. Mm. Um, I very, very nearly, I was a day away from investing in SoundCloud. Um, <laughs> yeah, I met, uh, when I met the, the founders, um, it was on a site called YouNoodle. It was a bit like AngelList and, I, and they okay. were trying to, trying to put together 400,000 and uh, as you said, I'd put in some money. Um, and then in the end, they took a big round from some venture capitalists, but I, I very, right. that one literally slipped through my fingers. Oh. But, um, but yeah, no, I met James, my co-founder through some mutual friends. Um, James is an out and out entrepreneur and it's probably worth you actually interviewing him as well. Yeah. Um, He's run a hedge fund. He's oh, done nice. some property development. But when I met him, he was running. Uh, he was running an e-commerce company, and James had just brought the North Face brand to the UK. Okay. So North Face is owned by Condé Nast, and they only sell it in shops in their North Face shops. Hmm. And they uh, were sort of interested in you know sort of what they call multi-channel or omni-channel retail, and they uh, and James basically said, "Look, I've got a website. I'd like to open some shops and sell your brand." So anyway, it was a big breakthrough, and then I invested in his company, and we became good friends. Interestingly, our dads are very good friends. Oh, um, nice. Uh, my dad was a diplomat and James's dad was a colonel in the army. So, uh, and then we both actually lived in Zimbabwe for oh, three cool. years. Um, so we, funnily enough, we had a lot in common. Um, and our dads are still good friends today. Um, but anyway, so I started chatting to James. Um, he'd just been headhunted to um, Shop Direct. So Littlewood's buried, so the second largest retailer behind Amazon. Mm. And um, so he then went up north and uh, was running that and was living just outside uh, Manchester. Um, and then we kept chatting. And then this, and then I saw the idea for, for Zesty. So I went back, and he, but he'd also literally just been then headhunted into EE. So James, <laughs> James actually launched ee.co.uk because France Telecom and Deutsche Telekom merged and everything everywhere or, um, you know, nothing nowhere as they called it. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, it was, uh, I shouldn't have said that, but never mind. Um, you know, so James launched ee.co.uk. So, um, so really, I guess, you know, a, a major, major part of Zesty is, is, is James and is the kind of magic that he brings. Um, you know, he's, he's the technical product guy. You know, I'm much more the kind of the marketing, the commercial, the kind of distribution, the partnership yeah. side, the PR side. Um, so again, if anyone's still listening, I would say, you know, there's times in your life where you meet people uh, and you realize that, you know, you either get on really well or you think that you trust them or they bring different skill sets to the table. You know, don't ignore those moments in your life. 
you know, for me, meeting James is definitely a moment in my life where I realized that, you know, on a personal and professional level that, um, you know, we're still very good friends. We still laugh at the same things. We love the same movie. <laughs> you know, we both love movies like Anchorman and you know, we all like, you know, we just, we laugh and do stupid things. So, you know, when you, when you meet people that are as motivated and as good and as passionate as you are, you know, stick with these people because you can't do it all on your own. You need a team and everyone needs to bring different skills to the table. Um, so anyway, so let's get to Zesty. So I then kept trying to persuade James that this is a good idea. He was like, okay, let's have a look at the market. So we were literally sat at my kitchen table in Wimbledon and I started to say, look, let's look at dentistry. He then made a few phone calls um, and then we actually flew out to Luxembourg and we then pitched a company, a venture capital firm called Mangrove Capital. Hmm. Uh, Mangrove Capital, their, their famous investment is Skype. So they were oh, yeah. the first investor in Skype and they've gone on to... to Latvia? Skype? Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's yeah. the team. Um, the, the next big hit now is Wix. So, you know, yeah. the guys that build the website. So they've yeah. built a few billion dollars. So anyway... This is now August 2012. It's me, it's James, and it's basically 10 slides of PowerPoint. We fly out to Luxembourg, we pitch the whole Mangrove Capital team, and we get barbecued. It's like, <laughs> it's like you guys know nothing. You, you know, what the hell do you know about healthcare? This is an overregulated. This is a highly competitive. This is a very ingrained, slow-moving, long sales cycle business. Yeah. What, the hell, what the hell do you want to do this for? And by the way, which one of you is the surgeon? Yeah, there you and, we, go. And, we were, and, we were, and we were just like, but we'll bring a whole fresh energy. Disruption often takes place from outside, not from yeah. inside. Anyway, we give them all the spiel. At one point, someone stood up and said, you two are not the people to do this. You know, you need to find, you know, two doctors. We don't believe that you've got the expertise. Right. Anyway, so then we're at, <laughs> we're at Luxembourg Airport. James comes running down the airport and I'm thinking, what's going on? Is there another 9-11? What the hell are you, like, why are you running through the airport? Like, and he goes, David's just texted me, like, they're in. And I'm like, what? Right. So, so basically, 40 minutes after we left the meeting, David, one of the partners at Mangrove, texted James, called him and said, okay, we're in for a million dollars. We're going to back you. Let's go. And yeah, that was another. Were they just trying to get a good price in the room, do you think? No, I think, no, I think that's just, well, looking back, just having that work with them, it's just, I think they, they are a very, they're just, they're heart on the sleeves. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, obviously now we know all the people in the room, because obviously we didn't then, you start to realise that it's that friction. And also what you realise is if somebody really wants to do a deal, they have to stand up and defend why they want to do that deal. So the, the, the room is a bit hostile and yeah. they don't, you know, so, and looking back, I actually realise now why they do what they do, because they're a bit like, look, if you want this, you've got to, we need to see that you as mm. the partner, you're going to back this, you know, you, you know, this is not a whim, right? You, you truly believe this is an opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, so look, a few, we need to, there's a lot of people we need to thank on our journey and, and, and definitely David from Mangrove is one of them. You know, he was the first person that said, okay, we believe you guys can do this. Interestingly, when we look back, and this is another advice if, if people are still, <laughs> still listening, um, they, the reason Mangrove invested when basically we had nothing is because James and I put two slides together saying these are the risks that we see to growing this business. Yeah. 
and we said this is how we think we can and overcome. This is how we mitigate, yeah. Yeah, but but obviously we didn't actually know then. That was the <laughs> theory, right? But interestingly, David said it was those two slides that, that convinced the room that you I weren't can very- totally believe that. The the decks that I absolutely the ones that i remember are the ones that have done that i absolutely love seeing a deck that's done that because they've they've just shown a level of intelligence to and maturity and maturity exactly yeah yeah and the fact that they've probably gone out and got that feedback they've demonstrated potentially that they're coachable because they can appreciate that they're exactly there's so there's so much about that humility to put that slide in it's it's like exactly. reverse psychology isn't it if i show you the problems i'm i'm yeah. i'm the guy that's then trying to say well no you could do this you could do that's interesting yeah but also you standing there saying i don't have all the answers yeah very who, real who, 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 who has, all the, hell has all the answers yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> so again you know again sort of practical down-to-earth advice that when you meet people that are as passionate and supportive as you the, a, a startup in this journey it's a long tough journey okay there are serious highs and serious lows i know it's cheesy i know it's a roller coaster analogy but it's true okay i've, I've done this a lot <laughs> you know i've done this a lot in 20 years i've done it i've seen massive successes and i've seen massive failures i've lived it i've breathed it i know the type of people that you that you need um i've been very very lucky in that throughout my career i've gone from a couple of different industries i mean healthcare is now my sixth industry you know wow. badu was dating Healthcare's, you know, I did retail travel, personal finance and and retail. There's four. Those are the sort of first half of the career, the the Kelku Yahoo days, watching the growth of eBay, Amazon, ASOS, Littlewoods, all those kind of companies. And then the second half is really the, the Badu watching the explosion of of apps and mobile. And then the last seven, eight years with, with Zesty. Um so I think, you know, learn from the past find good people, be humble, you know, be down to earth, be realistic, admit when you don't know things. Um, You don't have to solve everything now. Don't think that you have to produce the big sexy deck. Now, personally, when I do sort of angel investments, I look for the shit deck that someone's stressed because they're busy running the company. Mm. They haven't actually spent more than half an hour on it. But mm. I'll tell you what, what, what is in the deck is well thought out and logical. Mm. And then when you meet the person, you think, right, okay, so you are busy and stressed, but you are, you are 100% committed to this. And you know what? You don't want to spend your life doing sexy PowerPoints. You just want to get on and build a business. Yeah. And that is the kind of person that I personally am attracted to more than nice. you know, more than the slick sort of city boy that produces <laughs> amazing PDF. But the thing is, what you realize is all this information is publicly available. There's not really any analysis or insight. It's just sort of, it's just desktop research that's been yeah. put onto a PowerPoint. Um, so anyway, look, look, the readers want to hear about sort of Zesty and stuff. Um, so anyway, so look, we launch, uh, we raise a million dollars, you know, um, James is still working for EE, so he's basically doing nights and weekends. Again, look, if there's a big thank you, it's that James was, you know, doing that. I was, um, yeah, you know, I was sort of full-time on this. You know, I decided to leave Badu because I decided that, you know, this was a big opportunity. And again, look, guys, Again, if there's some advice, you've got to you've got to you've got to jump out the plane, right? You can't just sort of 
not do that. And I must admit, it's, it's quite an important point, this. I see so many people that have one foot in healthcare and one foot in an entrepreneurial world. Yeah. I see so many doctors. I see so many people that were in the NHS, they're a urologist or whatever, and now they've got an app. And now they practice privately. They do a couple of shifts at the, at the acute hospital and they sort of run a company on the side. And they want it all. Unf- yeah. yeah. But unfortunately in health, in digital health and healthcare, I see this over and over again. So if there's any advice out there, it's like, guys, if you're not prepared to back yourself and take the risk, do you really think anyone else is prepared to back you? Do you really think anyone's writing a check for $5 million when you're basically doing a couple of shifts and your private practice, but sort of your heart and soul is really focused on this little project? So unfortunately, there's a lot of doctorpreneurs out there. And you know what? That's fine. But guys, you've got to do it full time. Yeah, You can't just do it 50%, 60%. Because really, you're doing the extra hours so you get your NHS pension and you're doing the extra hours and the extra shifts and the extra clinics to get your private work. And then you sort of want this to fund your little project on the side. Mm. Now, that's, now, that's fine. I'm not criticizing anybody for doing that. But what I'm saying is that will limit the amount of investment and growth of your company. Right. Because you're asking the investor to take the risk, you're not absorbing the risk yourself. You're saying, investor, you put the money in, I'll continue doing what I'm doing. But, you know, if I, if I lose, I've still got all my other stuff. Whereas if you, And that's just not attractive. You want to do that. Yeah, yeah. I it's just not it. attractive at all. Um, so anyway, look, so we did that. Look, James carries on. He's a hero. He's doing two jobs. Uh, and then March, March 2013, we basically launched the first, um, you know, online healthcare kind of marketplace in the UK. And it's dentists, doctors, physiotherapists. It's all private because, you know, we, we didn't actually go anywhere near the NHS in those days. Mm. Um, and we scaled, we launched apps, you know, it was a big success. You know, we started to hire a big sales team. We expanded out of London. Uh, we then did a big Series A. We raised seven, eight million dollars. Uh, com- uh, investors like Qualcomm came in, uh, LBO in France. Um, you know, we we started. To, people started to see that you know if we could get this going in the UK, could we expand it into Europe? You know, I presented a bit of a kind of build by partner strategy for for, for Europe. You know, I, I I lined up an acquisition in Germany and, and basically a big partnership sort of in France and. Spain and the investors were like, okay, cool, let's go. So we started to do that. Um, again, we're very much focused on private healthcare and very much focused on primary care. Um, yeah. We then hi- we had then hired an ex sales director from Just Eat. He brought in about ten people. We expanded expanded out of London. We you know we really got going, um, and it was all great. You know we did advertising on TV. We did advertising on the Tube. You know we did a big big out, out outdoor campaign. Yeah, you guys were um, everywhere. I'm, yeah. At one point, yeah, 2015. Yeah. yeah, about five years ago, we were yeah. we were kind of everywhere. Um, but anyway, we started to we started to expand out and then to be honest a typical entrepreneur's story um a couple of things happened the first is that we started to when we started to analyze the kind of the marketing spend and the return we started to see that when you get outside of these big populations and cities that actually the number of appointments being booked and the number of you know dentists doctors physios that are available starts to kind of fall away yeah so london manchester bristol you know it was all great so we started to get worried and we started to tell the board and the investors that look you know either we've got to go overseas here and hit the big cities or we've kind of or we've kind of got to start thinking about you know a new model so that was the first thing but but then the second thing that happened is that um so another big person to thank in our story is is a, is a guy called um 
Professor Joe Harrison, who's the CEO of Milton Keynes Hospital. So in sort of 2016, early 2016, we met Joe and he said, could you come in and offer my patients, my outpatients, the same experience that you offer for people booking dentist, doctors, physios. You know, me and my wife have used your app. We've booked a couple of physio appointments. You know, it's amazing. Mm. There's nothing else out there. Mm. So we were a bit like, yeah, okay. No, and we, we didn't know anything about acute hospitals, clinical systems. We didn't know anything about, you know, uh, outpatients at work. So we, again, kind of the blind faith, you've got to jump out of the airplane, right? <laughs> There's no half way to do this. So we started to do that. And then the other thing is we started to see competitors in the UK. So companies like Doctify, um, a couple of others, Watt Clinic was based in Ireland. They started to do more stuff in the UK. So basically we started to see more competition. We started to see that it was tough to acquire users and then turn a profit. We started to see the investors were saying, well, you've either got to go overseas or not. But then when you looked in Europe, you know, there's quite a lot of companies in France, Holland, you know, there were companies in, uh, you know, in, in Germany. In the end, we did a partnership with a company in Holland. We launched an office and stuff in Amsterdam. We got going, but we kind of knew what would happen. So again, right. we saw the signs once we launched outside of Amsterdam and got into the cities. So kind of once we had the once we had the data, we started to go back to the investors and said, look, the same pattern is happening here in Holland as it is in the UK. You know, so then James and I started to say, yeah, but now we've kind of got this interest from the NHS. Let's look at that. So really, we did we did the classic pivot. We started to say <laughs> to the investors, look, we think there's a market now for our technology in the NHS. You know, there weren't really patient portals out there. So, you know, we want to kind of follow this. So that's kind of what we did. We started to work at Milton Keynes. You know, we started to understand the NHS. And that just started this five-year, you know, love affair with the NHS, really. Um, Everybody tells you at the beginning it's very difficult to sell to the NHS. It's very hard to break in as a a new supplier in a young company. It's all true. true. (laughs) I was Um, wondering where you were going to go with that. (laughs) Yeah, it's all very true. You know, all the hard work I've done on this podcast for 90 episodes. (laughs) Yeah, um, again, there there is absolutely no quick win. There's no secret deal. There's no dinner that you can do. There's no two or three CIOs you can take down the pub that will mm-hmm. magically launch you into the NHS. Unfortunately, guys and girls, even knowing that it's CIOs that you need to like commit, that just shows how much you know that you can just flippantly say that. It, That's it a is, journey for most people. Yeah, it is sheer hard work. Yeah. It's also it's also luck. It's also building timing. relationships. Correct. It's I would say That's relationships. That's the one I say most. Yeah, it's it's everything. I think. I think personally, looking back, you know, relationships is everything. Um, people are people. You know, they buy people and they buy yeah. technology, but yeah. they buy people first. If there's any again any advice I could give people, it's when people meet you, they basically look at you and say, "Do I like you? Do I trust you?" Yeah. That is the NHS all over. Yeah. They can't they can't take any risk. They can't take any clinical risk. They can't take any procurement risk. They can't take any perceived information government's data protection risk. So it's public money. It's all auditable, it's all accountable. It has to go through, you know, a particular procurement, a tender process. You know, there's no quick win. So if you're thinking of working and selling to the NHS, be prepared for a long, hard journey. The only good news is that it, the only good news is after your first two or three clients, it does get easier. It does yeah. actually get quite a lot easier. And once you hit 10, 
it gets a hell of a lot easier mm. because you're you're a known trusted quantity to the yeah. NHS. You're yeah. on G you're on G Cloud, you've got data, yeah. you've got evidence, they can do site visits, reference calls. Your first two or three is almost impossible. Yeah. I would say. It is very, very hard. Don't kid yourselves in any shape or form. Just because your brother's cousin is at a bar mitzvah, <laughs> is it a bar mitzvah, just because your uncle is best mates on the golf club with the <laughs> with the CCIO. You hear it a lot, don't you? You're like, oh the CEO of Guys and St. Thomas is like, yeah, I mean, loves it. You're like, great, yeah. is he gonna buy one? Like, I mean like it, So it's unfortunately just, that ain't gonna do anything. No. My second my <laughs> next point would be don't really fall into the pilot and trial trap yeah, because it, it's just as hard and as requires as much energy and effort to launch a pilot as it does a full paid rollout. Yeah. So if there's any advice for people, let's don't fall into the trap, you know, that more pilots than BA, mm. not interested yeah. in that. Um, the other thing about selling to the NHS is a very small market. It's what I call an internal market. There's no competition. Everyone's very well connected. And unfortunately, there's sort of reverse incentives. Yeah. You know, you've got things like block contracts where they're incentivized to obviously do as little activity as possible because they've taken on a block contract. Um, on an activity model, they're like, no, 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 we need loads of activity, loads of appointments. Sometimes technology can come into the NHS and healthcare in particular and basically start to cannibalize jobs. You know, I mean, robotic process automation, AI, this is basically people you're going to replace yeah these are these are repetitive manual tasks now if you're it's in a, a room, emotive setting isn't it as well it is yeah i'd agree yeah and i exactly. think that the the communication of what you do who you are how you can help the problem that you solve the way that you solve it the language in which you speak the language in which you present you know the currency in which you talk in terms of bad days and not money and you know this there's so much in in the communication because of all the emotion that's surrounded within that system in in my opinion from what i've seen and the people that do it well have a very high eq they can yeah i appreciate that and they can, I, they can take their time and understand them build relationships with people as you've said i think that's the overarching theme for me i totally 100 percent agree with that um i say to the guys that when we are when we are looking at you know a project we're looking for our sponsors we're looking for our champions you need to remember it's an emotive sell yeah. and also a practical sell yeah so I've actually started to say to the team, you need to build these mini personas. So it's the ambitious CEO, the ambitious CIO, but then mm. the pra practical, practical COO, and then the very practical CFO. CFO, yeah. So, so you know, and I, so and then I also say when you're presenting, we've got to remember we've got to win hearts, minds, and manage egos when you're in the room those are the three things we've got to focus on yeah it's a, and you've got to you've got to be emotive and back back it up with data and evidence evidence because yeah. half the room half the room wants you to sell a vision and a story and the other half of the room wants to sell a practical evidence-based academic approach that's kind of what the room wants. So when you're in there, you've got to be logical and practical and you win over the tech team, the operations team, the clinical teams. And then you've got to be, okay, guys, but digital transformation is going to do this. 
and it's going to save this amount of money, this amount of headcount. Mm. Now, now you start to win the support of the CFO and the sort of CEO. And then you've got to say, and this is going to help your trust, help your hospital, help your NHS organization, you know, digitally mature, create an amazing service for patients. And mm. then, you've got to, then you've got to sell a vision. And that's when you win the CEO and a couple of the exec team members. But it is a process. But your point about high EQ is probably the most important thing I would say. It's you funny know, as well, because I think once you... Business, well, I think once you've, uh, you know, you, you take all of that into account and, you know, we talk about the NHS and, you know, that's what's needed to sell to the NHS. I think healthcare systems around the world are probably, you know, they're going to be extremely similar just simply because of the nature of the game. It is, it is an emotive space. There's, whilst there are different, you know, the ways that budgets are handled in, in US hospitals and the rest of it are very different. I think being able to sell, as you qu- quite eloquently put it in a way that I've not really heard it before in terms of you need to sell an, on an emotive level, a practical level and, and one of the other one was, you know, it, it's, that's, that's an approach which is, I mean, there's a hundred countries that listen to this podcast, so I'm sure it's going to ap- appeal to more than just the, uh, the UK. Sure, the NHS and the UK. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but no, I agree. I think, I think it can translate. I think healthcare is, is a, is a market which, yeah, obviously translates. The, the only real difference I think is the payer. You know, in the UK, we have a self-pay model because the government effectively, you know, you know, supports it. Yeah. You know, in the, obviously in the US, Asia, and most of Europe, you have the, the insurance back model. Yeah. Um, and then in some of the sovereign states and some of the Commonwealth countries, like you know, Canada and India, there is this NHS model, which is government funded and state state funded. So, at the end of the day, you know, a hospital runs and a GP practice runs the same way in the US, Asia, and in the as it does in the UK. You know, there are people that are sick, see a, see a generalist, and then refer to a specialist. Yeah. You know, I think the only real difference is, yeah, the insurer model, the payer model, uh, and then I think it's digital maturity, how mature are mm. those settings. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, look, you, you know, you, you've lived and breathed this as well. I mean, you, you <laughs> for a long time, mate. And, and you know what, I'm, I'm not going to bore the, the listeners of this podcast saying the same stuff over and over. I mean, all I'm going to say is that the, the way that you've, the way that you've packaged that and the way that you've, um, you've gotten that information across is, is as eloquent as I think I could ever put it. And, you know, I just agree wholeheartedly with, with everything that you've gone through. And I think it's based on, it's based on your your experience of having done it and having to do it and having learned and and gone through it. You know, you've built so much business experience and so much ability practically in running a business, and you seem to have not let the journey of learning stop once you've once you've come across healthcare. You've not come in with the attitude of like <coughs> sold in all these other five sectors. I don't know what I'm doing in healthcare. You've appreciated the fact that it is a different experience, and you've you've happened <coughs> on the back of it. And I think. It's been it's been nice hearing all your little nuggets of information and and the kind of the, the the learning points as you flag them all the way through. I think that's been it's been a really nice addition um, <coughs> to do that. And I think the last one that I kind of want to yeah highlight is that you mentioned you mentioned something when you were pivoting. And I know there are a lot of health tech starters, particularly at the moment, that are going to have to be doing this or they want yeah. to do this in light of what's happening and they might be running out of money and that might go <coughs> as well. There's lots of different entrepreneurs that listen to this, not, not yeah. necessarily just healthcare. Yeah. But you talked about when you spotted an issue with your business model and you talked about going to the board. Yeah. It didn't sound like, well, first of all, it sounded like that was really open, honest kind of, you know, 
communication with empathy. It didn't sound like you're like, oh my God, I'm going to have to report to the board. I'm going to have to fiddle the numbers. I'm going to have to do this. It sounds yeah. It sounds like you filled a boardroom there with people that you could be completely open with. It sounded, sounded like you had the confidence to be like, look, guys, you saw us as the best people in the world to be running this business. We still are. But look, we've done everything that we can along these lines and here are the problems and actually we need to pivot and do something else. It didn't sound like any of that was panic. It didn't sound like any of that was like you worried about like, you know, oh God, I'm going to have to go to my parents and tell them that I've done something right. You know, it, it sounded like you filled a boardroom with with really strong people who could help you problem solve. I mean, is that how you see it? Do you see is that I a think, lesson? Is there a lesson yes. in that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you've been very kind in how you described it. Um, I it think might just reality, be the way that you told the story that it was no yeah, problem. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I think, look, I think there, there always is, there always is self-doubt. I don't think you're human if you don't have elements and moments of self-doubt. But again, another huge thing I'd say is if I honestly look back in the last seven or eight years, um, James and I have never been down at the same time. Oh, you nice. Know, there's, yeah. there's been times when I've been like, shit, we're in trouble here. And James yeah. has been that energy. He's been that ball. He's, he's bounced me back going, what are, you, what are you talking about? We're two weeks away from closing guys and St. Tommy's. We're about, Joe's just introduced us to, you know, another yeah. trust. Um, then there's, but then, you know, a year later, James is like, fuck, you know, and I'm like, what? And he's <laughs> like, you know, shit, I'm really worried about this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm about to do this massive thing with, you know, this huge clinical system. So again, again, it's like, guys, you know, partner, 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 yeah. partner with people. The other thing in healthcare is I would honestly say partner or die. Okay, that's a big extreme statement, and I don't want it to come across like some kind of Daily Mail headline. <laughs> but, but honestly, guys, as a startup, your your chances of survival if you partner with people in the ecosystem, your chances are a lot higher. Because as an outsider and unknown, it's very very difficult. If you partner with people that are known, that you bring something to the table, this you create more value together that will set you up much better. And by the way, there is no harm and there's no shame in partnering. You know, quite often I see in healthcare, people are like, no, oh my God. But then like we give up control, we give up revenue. I'm a bit like, guys, you'll still be here in five years. Yeah. That's the way you should look at it. Um, Dude, I wrote a Forbes article this morning and I can say this because uh, the, the, the news will have broken by the time this comes out, but Meadowpad yeah. have just acquired um, BioBeats and an, another wearable company called TLT and they're going to start going after digital biomarkers and, and all this right, stuff okay. and, and pivoting. But it's exactly that. you know. I spoke to David Plans, the founder of BioBeats, on this podcast. Yeah. And you know, that's a guy who, you know, he had a cardiac arrest in Brussels airport because he was so stressed and then went on this like research journey of finding out why, and then built this company around solving the problem for other people. Yeah. And, you know, it's his baby and all the rest of it. And he's built it to a certain level and he got a million quid from Luminous and, you know, all these different things, but he's not afraid to partner, you know, a couple of years down the line and, and, you know, willing to do work with Meadowpad so that he can, and, and they're going to, you know, stay as separate entities for a little while and all the rest of it still, but you know, he's willing to make more impact in the long run if it means partnering. And I completely agree, you know, there's lots of examples, but you know, Jean and the guys from touch yeah. surgery, they yeah. just, you know, they've just obviously, you know, sold to, you know, to Medtronic and yeah, again, they're they're, again, they're partnering, um, you know, there's, there's, yeah, you know, partnerships is very important in healthcare. Um, the other thing that struck me, I mean, there's quite a few things that struck me about healthcare 
compared to other industries. The first is, yeah, this how people intensive it really is, <laughs> how, just how decisions are emotive and practical. The other thing that struck me is how it's quite democratic in healthcare. You know, it's not, I mean, it's I'm too I, much so, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I agree. No, look, I agree. And this, um, but you know, in other industries, we're also used to trying to persuade the CEO in the room to make a decision and then boom, the decision's made and it kind of flows through. In the healthcare, it's almost like you've got multi-stakeholders, you've got four or five. And the other thing that I often say to my guys is, you know, there's influencers in the room. Mm-hmm. Now, our job is to get everybody, they don't have to say yes, they have to not say no. It's like, guys, we're focused on, we're not focused on, because there's a lot of crowd herd mentality I find in healthcare. Mm. It's the majority of the room. It's like, well, the senior clinicians in the room agree with it. The tech guys are on board. The coo's got her reservations. The CIO is a bit like, okay, I want to make a few reference calls. And the CEO is like, so the consensus how many times have you heard well it appears the consensus in the room is let's do this yeah <laughs> there's, 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 there's yeah. never there's never the cio or the ceo going i want this to happen <laughs> healthcare is such a democratic you know kind of viewpoint um but just coming back to your point just about yeah like when we pivoted and stuff and if it came across like we were zen calm and and kind of <laughs> on the side Long of a water. side yeah side yeah side of a hillside meditating um, <laughs> we we weren't but i think i think you, the point you really made and i think it's a very very important point is is honesty and i think someone said to me a long time ago good news comes all the time bad news comes at board meetings <laughs> so, yeah. so you know, so investors are not stupid. In mm. board board meetings are check-ins, and you probably have I don't know ten a year. Mm. There's ten times a year where they get to hear the truth. Yeah. So what what I've learned over the years is look, you need to sort of you need to seed this in. You need to say it, if you really want to tell the board in three or four months, you need to seed it in the next three or four meetings. Interesting. And then in the fourth meeting or the third meeting or whatever, even in the second meeting, you need to say, okay, guys, we need to now kind of really talk about this. And let me tell you, I've learned humility and honesty goes a long, long way. (laughs) Nobody nobody wants to be the guy who gets the bad news and doesn't really understand. And by the way, investors are like, okay, that idea didn't work. What's your next idea? Yeah. Oh, well, now we're pivoting. Okay, how big's the market? What's the competition? If you've behaved with integrity and if they see you as that honest person that has, you know, kept them in the loop the whole way and, you know, all the rest of it, I think that's the key. So don't, don't try and hide, you know, don't try and hide it. Because again, you made a very important point at the beginning about, you know, everyone has to, everyone thinks their first venture has to be this, you know, Richard, 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 yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I, Often when I meet people, I'm like, guys, you know, with all due respect, you know, you're just, you know, you're not, you're not, um, you know, you're not kind of. It's not going to be a billion dollar business, but yeah. you have done well. Yeah. So yeah. And you have yeah. learned a great deal and congratulations and well yeah. done. Now, now think about your position and move on to the next. Yeah. Thing. There are very few Zuckerbergs, Elon Musks, you know, there are very few, you know, Bill Gates. Guys, let's be honest, okay, this company's not a billion dollar business, okay, it's not, but it doesn't it doesn't matter. You know, again, I've, another big thing I've learned in my career is 
I'm always astonished by the profile, background, personality of entrepreneurs. Mm. You know, I'm astonished by, you know, the working mum who didn't yeah. really didn't really get into business until her kids grew up in the 40s and 50s and is now massively motivated and successful. I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted by, you know, people that you meet that left school at 16, self-educated, you know, real domain experts have worked their way up and have now built very successful companies. I'm, I'm astonished by, you know, people that have, you know, tried two or three industries and it's the third one where they've made success. So, you know... Also, don't ever judge the book by its cover. Don't ever judge people, right? Don't ever think, well, you know, who the hell are you? And I look on your LinkedIn profile and I'm a bit like, oh, why am I meeting you? Like, really? How could you help me? Yeah. You know, um, but, uh, humility and also a bit of karma, guys, you know, throw some good energy into the, into the world. It will come back. It will come back. You know, I do, I do favors for people all the time. Can you introduce me to this person? Sure. Yeah. All I say to is, guys, I can get you in the room, but you've got to close it now. Okay, yeah. I can get you through the door. I'm happy to, I'm happy to sort of make the connection, but guys, please don't ask me to influence the decision. Yeah. You know, whatever. I can't do that. Okay, um, happy to make intros. Happy to listen to your pitch. Happy to critique. More than happy to do all that, guys. I'm happy to be open and honest with you. This is my journey. It's not, it's not perfect. You know, it's not like mega <laughs> successful. It's just a journey, right? If I was you. If I could do it all again, I would just listen and speak to as many people as I could mm. that have been on a journey. I'd listen to as many podcasts because there are trends. You do start to realize that people have self-belief. They're kind of, they have the attitude of, okay, we're just going to slightly fake it before we make it. We're going to just really understand the market. We're going to back it all up with stats and we're going to be like an economist and we're going to shape the problem and we're going to really, you know, kind of support it with evidence. You know, we're going to really believe in ourselves. We're going to put together quite a sort of punchy, you know, high growth plan. And you start to realize there's traits, but then on the flip side, you realize there's a slight calmness that they don't panic because what is the worst thing that can happen? <laughs> Yeah, that's what, that's what you've got to ask. Yeah. What is the worst thing? Because because the other point I see, so the word shame, right? So many people are like, oh my god, I've got to update my LinkedIn profile. Oh my, god, <laughs> oh my I've got to tell my friends that my startup has failed. And <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, guys, uh, who cares, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe your fourth startup will be the one that you sell to Apple. You know, and I and I hope you do, guys. I wish everybody the best yeah. success. I wish everybody, because it is very, very difficult what we do. You know, um, you've, the other thing is you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. That's where you've got to be. Okay? Every day is different. You've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You haven't got all the answers. You'll find it out. But it's really interesting the point you also made about sort of learning because I feel like I, I feel like I never stop learning. Mm. And in fact, what that I often... really comes out, mate, the way that you talk, yeah, the way that you... The way that I, you, I, you, you I really like, believe You definitely that. value learning in, even in the I way you're teaching your sales guys, right? You know, you, you've, you're an educator. I wrote down here that you're a natural educator. You're a natural mentor. Well, well thank you. It's very kind. But... I say to my wife, I feel like I stand up every day and there's a swimming pool of knowledge and healthcare and I get to dive in every day and I swim through this and I like, but I just keep swimming because it's never ending. Yeah. You, you will never know enough. I will never learn enough. 
You know, my job is just to keep learning, keep understanding things better. You know, knowledge is power. And, you know, and I think you've either got it. And the other thing is, I think entrepreneurs, we're naturally inquisitive. We're like, why does it work like that? Who who says it has to be like that? It doesn't have to be like that. Who says it has to be like that? So... But anyway, look, I could talk all day. So I'm, I need to. I definitely need to wrap this up. We've been going yeah. <laughs> for quite a while. Um, but look, listen, the, the way that we end these, I'll just hand over to you to just summarize a bit about yourself, a bit about Zesty. And if you've got any asks of our audience, so anything from there's GPs, there's um, NHS managers and trusts, there's people all around the world in different healthcare organizations, there's entrepreneurs, there's clinicians, there's wannabe entrepreneurs there's all sorts yeah sure podcast so um a bit of a summary about you and zesty and then any asks that you've got close sure. out with those dude so thank you so yeah look, guys thanks for thanks for kind of listening um yeah look i've uh, been in in the technology and and sort of startup scale up and kind of corporate world for 20 odd years been lucky enough to to see digital transformation in four or five industries before healthcare um zesty's in a really good place you know we, we pivoted four or five years ago we have a very supportive board and set of people we are now pretty much solely focused on digitalizing outpatients so if anyone yeah wants to partner talk to us about you know um the work we do with the nhs and outpatient departments um happy to you know uh, my email address is lloyd so double l oyd at zesty 30 sty.co.uk um to people so to the providers you know people that deliver care that happy to explain features and benefits happy to give you an, a kind of an opinion about technology you know what we think is is valuable what we think is is, is very useful and practical if there's any academics out there that are doing research academic health science networks we're more than happy to present and, and be part of a panel um, and anybody in general look happy if anyone's out there you know if you're 18 19 thinking you've got an idea look i don't have all the answers but i'm happy to point you in the right direction so again just drop me an email um or follow me on twitter my twitter handle is lloyd g price uh double l o y d g p r i c e um all i can give you is an opinion all i can give you is some some advice and look i'm more than happy to share but yeah and thanks big thanks to james and the guys for you know for inviting me onto it's been a lot of fun Thanks, buddy. And I will put the links to Lloyd's Twitter, LinkedIn, yeah, okay. in the description of this episode. So cool. thank you so much for coming on, dude. Yeah, pleasure. No, real pleasure. And look, really appreciate it, James. And uh, let's once COVID's over, let's try and meet up for a beer. And Let's definitely yes. do that, yeah. sir. Yeah. Let's definitely do that. <laughs> cool. All right. Good one. Stay safe. Yeah, cheers, James. Thanks, mate. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.